might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you can remember I said with the last words on my lips that I am a revolutionary. And you're going to have to keep on saying that. You're going to have to say that I am a proletarian. I am the people. I'm not the pig. You've got to make a distinction. And the people are going to have to attack the pig. The people are going to have to stand up against the pig. That's what the pastors are doing. That's what the pastors are doing all over the world. So long we forgot the meat and the cleaning Only magic can patch it up so we dreaming a genie By which I mean that we dreaming of freedom But freedom is fleeting By which I mean between seeing people beating and bleeding On our TVs, on the daily, on the weekly I just want to relax a bit Crack a pat and watch some videos of cats And wish wishing these idiots and Athens would quit with the classism But I'm really not a great activist Cause everyone wanna complain about the state of the system Congratulate themselves on Facebook for paying attention And homie, I know you're right But if nobody mobilizes a noble fight we stay in slaves for a century. And I wish that the given an ish would fix it. I wish giving an ish was as simple as whistling Dixie. The only way I have to fix it is cashing my chips in. So I guess to fix the system, first I have to fix me. So next week is gonna beat the rest of them. I'm waking up at seven, stretching and eating vegetables. Cause beating my demons could never be fearsome. It's feeding them and filling them, beating up on my eardrums. Right, welcome in on another episode of Revolutionary Tracks. As usual, gonna welcome in my co-host Karthik. How are you doing today, sir? I'm all right. How are you, Marcus? I am, uh, to be honest, extremely pissed off at the state of the country that I live in. But um, not to focus on me and my personal feelings right now we have a return offender guilty <laughs> as charged happy to have Mariah Parker aka Linko Franco thank you so much for coming back on our new uh, new new platform uh, same show yo this um, little thing's pretty cool I like this this is pretty this, neat it's not bad. It's not bad when it works. I'm, I'll shout out to the calling people. The last, I'd say, last few weeks have been pretty on point as far as all the bugs and quirks. So it, it's, it's it's all right. It's doing okay. Well, shout out to Colin. Shout out to y'all for having me back. I could not be more honored. Well, um, first and two, I know that left last time you left off with uh, you getting your PhD or getting close, and then since oh yeah, then, oh yeah, I got that shit. What's up? <laughs> so yeah, that's right. Yeah, that. Um, but uh, I guess it, we might as well kind of just kick it off with uh, more. Of a really, where <laughs> the the episode title in that first track of kind of describing some of your experiences uh, uh, in City Hall um, as as a you know as a commissioner in Clark County, in Athens, Georgia. Um, you know, can you describe for us how hip hop and City Hall for you kind of, you know, are somehow interwoven? Sure, 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 sure. So I've been serving as Athens Clark County Commissioner since 2018. It's akin to um, a city council person's role in a larger size city, but as we are uh, the smallest um, city county in Georgia, you know, we also represent some rural areas around that, hence the change in title. But yeah, so um been serving in that role since 2018, and um it has many intersections with hip hop to the point that I find it so blurred. I think it's all 
you know, tributaries to the same river of collective liberation. So, um, first off, a lot of my skills that I honed as like a battle rapper are very, very trans, um, transferable to the job that I do at City Hall. I got to verbally joust with cats all the time and, you know, stand up for my people, for what I believe in and think, you know, pretty improvisationally on my feet at times to craft arguments for my people and for my values, which is very akin to like holding your ground in a, in a, uh, a rap battle where somebody's like, you know, making fun of you because your mom's fat or whatever and like having to respond and stand up and like think flexibly and creatively um, in the moment. You know, that's very, very, very akin to the debates we have at City Hall. Um, also, the ability to dap somebody up after y'all just had a furious argument and kind of walk away um, is, you know, rap battles, City Hall, very similar. Um, and then, you know, I see it as a, all a part of the same project in that I use hip hop as a form of grassroots political education, um, not to, you know, educate. I don't set out to educate, but oftentimes I use hip hop to process things I see going on in the world, uh, you know, processing, watching the labor movement, like explode exponentially and the excitement around that, uh, engaging with texts like uh, Can't Pay, Won't Pay by the Debt Collective and, you know, thinking through arguments for debt abolition. And I just put it to music to help, you know, understand what I have seen, what I have read. Um, I think I can't remember which writer said it, but like um, I sometimes don't know what I think until I've read what I have to say. So that kind of thing of like, all right how do I feel about this based on like processing it through hip hop and then sharing that back with the people. So like, yo, take these ideas and do with them what you will. Think about forming a union. Think about organizing uh, your fellow tenants for a rent strike, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, all part of the same project. Oh, a lot of overlapping skill sets, I would say. So uh, I don't even know if you can say they intersect. It's the same road. It's just depending on if you're walking on the left side or the right side. So yeah, well, and that's, I feel like there's more on the right side, oh, <laughs> on the quote-unquote. Oh, Lord. Right. Oh, Lord, I have misspoken. <laughs> <laughs> no, right? But, uh, no, but, um, that's, uh, like, I feel like, too, it's like there's, tell me, too, like, you talk about even, like, the rap battling of, as as a good of like good way of, a low-stakes way of, of building courage, you know? Because um, at the end of the day, having that type of confrontation, it's scary, it's nerve-wracking, but, you know, like, everyone's going to walk away, right? It's a low-stakes yeah. game to have a, you know, some type of competition. Right. Uh, but also build up those skills. And it's yeah. oratory skills, you know. Oratory skills, um, exactly. But I think you're touching upon something important about that as well, is the emotional state of the rap battle, as well as, like, engaging in, like, political battle at City Hall. It's like going in, like, I'm terrified, but I know I got to do what I got to do and win or lose. I'm going to walk out of here and live to see another day. And so like, you know, let's, let's go. Like the worst that can happen is I'm humiliated and the, you know, at least in, at least in city hall, the stakes are higher. As you said, like, man, if we like give this money to keep funding this dr drug task for so many of my people are going to jail, but you live, so you still, you fight another day. And so that emotional readiness for like what may come may come. And I'm going to trust myself to do the best that I can to, hold it down um it's also a form of training i think i got from performing in general getting up on stage and be like man i hope i don't drop my lyrics tonight but you gotta just push through and know that you'll survive
I've always like liked um, beginning with this song where, uh, ex- you know, when examining your work, because like I feel like it kind of touches on a very elementary uh, point when it comes to organizing or like, yeah. you know, doing any kind of action that like uh, some people feel the gratification of just like articulating the problem on the Internet as a cathartic like exercise that that's enough that they have contributed enough to society, etc. And uh, you are like specifically making the case for going further than that. Um, and I would really like to know whether you are making that statement more as a as an artist or more as a you know city co- city count like county commissioner. Well, here's the thing, you know, uh, politician being a politician is a very precarious um, uh, job position because like we live in a democracy, and so I recognize that in four years I might not be here, I might not be doing the same thing. But at the end of the day, I remain. Uh, uh, a liberationist. I remain a community organizer. Um, I remain a re- revolutionary. And so, um, when I am speaking to like, you know, get off Facebook and get out in your community and like fight and take care of yourself for that fight. Cause I'm talking about, you know, I don't know if you, you played it earlier, but I talk about waking up at seven, stretching and eating vegetables. Cause like we need you in the fight. Like that message, um, remains and is so, so fundamental you know, no matter what, you know, even if I got out the rap game, like that remains the same. And so, yeah, I guess trying to call people to like, even if you're trying to use social media in a cathartic way, there are ways to like mobilize people across geographic areas, etc. You know, at least orienting it towards that, like, all right, let's not just bitch, like, what are we going to do? Right. But also, you know, in that song I'm conveying, I'm really speaking to myself as way as well as, as you know, I say, you know, I'm I'm really not a great activist because I get caught up in that as well. And so reminding myself to, you know, not get stuck, not just get stuck, you know, what I say, um, uh, crack a pap and watching videos of cats, like get mobilized because that is actually the real catharsis when you get out there and you're talking to people and you're, you know, building that revolutionary energy. And even if you get a small win and you, you know, take a moment of gratitude for that tiny, tiny win that you got like that, that is actually that feeling like you can't replicate that sending a tweet, period. So in, in other words, you're saying that you put in the work. Yeah, put in the work and you got to change everything overnight. Like no one expects that, period. But like, you know, let's say let's say you get your friend to come out to. A protest. Let's say you spend an hour making signs. Let's say you, um, you know, brought the muffins to the meeting where we're discussing what our legislative priorities are. Whatever like thing that you contribute, I think savoring that, savoring gratitude for that and a sense of pride and accomplishment is is so so important. And it feels it feels a hell of a lot better than like uh, sitting back and just getting into an argument with a person you will never meet about like I don't know whether or not Democrats should be sending you fundraisers the minute you find out that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned, which happened to me, and I was livid. I was livid. And so many liberals were, like, arguing with me on Twitter, like, well, we got to vote harder, da 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 I'm like, look, I'm a person who's had an abortion. I'm allowed to have feelings about this. It was, y'all can just go outside, okay? So, yeah, no, 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 no. Let's not get caught up in that. Let's feel excited that... You know, we're having this meeting. We're going knocking on these doors. We're, you know, feeding folks. Let's go do that as a form of catharsis. 
You know, I, I was like kind of queuing up, uh, trying to see if I can like queue up uh, your song "Work" uh, because you, uh, you you like talk about um, it's like such a catchy song, but you uh, make it so clear that like you want to use that um, song to deliver the message that like you want uh, people basically to pay attention to the actual people putting in the work, the workers, and oh uh, yeah, wh- oh yeah, they have power and. Uh, their hands and like so we like listen to a clip from that and then like maybe can can you talk a little bit about uh, the making of the song and yeah yeah sure Tragic position of trading and passion for wages and cash to they shackled by capitalism. Imagine a minute, millions of average citizens planning the spinach and wax in the kitchen, the stack of the linens, contractors and renters and tenants, the labor extracted for pittance. What if they coordinated to address the sort of state of it in organization? Cause fucking what? That's what organized labor does. And not even sort of it's more of the crux. Taking the power from hoarders of bucks, big bankers offshore and they cut. Returning the value of labor to those who created the billionaires. Oh, it's us. If you dated and tell about waking up early, the earning bad. If you sad about burning, if you got a curious turning and had it with passively lurking, we got your back and we happy to have you out on the picket line, actively working, going. Which side are you on? That song still gives me goosebumps. Um, Yo, I appreciate that. I uh, I, I don't know if I told y'all before, but that song almost didn't make it on the album. Uh, at the very end of recording the album, uh, Bell Ringer, out now, by the way. Uh, but I was like, you guys, I got these verses about labor organizing. I like, really want to put on the album. They're like, oh, no, it's the album's done. Let's just ship it, da, da, da. And then we just, like, my producer, Reindeer Games, had this, like, amazing beat just laying around i was like low-key mad at him that he had like kept it for me but then we like yeah put it out there but in crafting the song itself you know just watching the pandemic unfold and quote-unquote essential workers just get completely thrown under the bus of capitalism just like well go die for the economy now and watching the labor movement's response even during the uprising watching like the longshoresmen on the west coast shut down all the ports with angela davis riding in the back of the pickup truck i was like man this is wild because i honestly candidly had not really considered the power of the people in that way before with regards to our collective strength within our our and our, our inherent organization within a workplace right and so i was just watching all this go down i was like man this is crazy like these people who you know ship the boxes who swiffer and they mob look chipper whenever talking and whipping the shopping carts the people that like run everything coming together it's like so inspiring so i just sat down to write about it um so i wrote you know first first second verse and just held on to them and you know i like disseminate them in various ways in terms of like going out to rallies and protests you know, posting stuff up on IG just to get this, these ideas that I have processed out there to other people. Like, yo, this is an option that's available to you. Um, and then eventually, yeah, we, you know, threw, threw a beat down in the studio. And now it's, um, now I'm like playing at the AFL CIO convention in two weeks. So, (laughs) (laughs) and the thing is like what I love about it and it kind of goes to like some of your goals as, as, uh, an artist of being able to educate through your music. Like, you lay out the imperfectly 
the inherent contradiction within capitalism, right? Labor versus the capitalist class that right. owns everything. Who generates what? Who actually holds the power? Like, you, you lay it out so perfectly, <laughs> you know? Well, and I think that's that. a, one of the things, too, with, like, this song is, like, even, and I, like, I love, too, that, you know, a lot of people, like, give, ultimately give a lot of respect, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, I guess, deference already given to, like, people like Longshoremen, Teamsters, some of these established, you know, like, United Auto Workers, there's a lot of established unions that do have a sense of, you know, political power in this country. Right. Um, the workers that you're describing, you know, are... Like, yeah, like the people who are mopping the aisle in the grocery store, um, packing away the little funky boxes, right? And making it look all perfect, you know? Yeah. Like, and like that, like, shout out to any of the people who work retail. Like, goddamn. Right. We um, have this image in our head, I think, of like, yeah, the Teamster. Like, they are the, the coal miners coming out of the mine, covered in, you know, head to toe and like this black smudge. But like, also thinking about, yeah, like the Starbucks workers, a lot of them are just like, you know, just regular other kind of folks that you wouldn't associate with labor unions historically. And then the other part of like the song work is like, we're talking about cats who listen to hip hop. We shouting out El Pueblo Unido and our like immigrant and um, Latinx brothers and sisters who are also getting exploited. Um, and so like trying to expand our understanding of like, who counts when we're talking about labor organizing? A new coalition of people that's not just like, you know, the, the folks fighting the Pinkertons out in West Virginia, but like you. It could be you, too, whoever you are, wherever you work. Well, if you don't think that horse teeth bastard that owns or the CEO of Starbucks won't send the cops after, you know, after a barista, like you're just think again. Not, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Think again. It's, it's going to happen. Um as long as, and that's the thing too, it's going to happen as long as they keep winning. Um, yep. And that's probably something that's like, I think actually too, I've even heard reports of like, there's just like cops have been called on Starbucks organizers um, after they, you know, like they'll fire them and they tell them they can't be on the campus and all that type of stuff. So mm-hmm. you got to be able to defend yourself. But um, some of that you had mentioned uh, beforehand, um, as far as the, What's going on with a the right to you know healthcare in the form of abortion, but then there's a list of other things, uh, other yeah, just rights, freedoms that people can enjoy at you know to a certain extent now that could go away with the the elimination of Roe versus Wade, um, and you actually have two two different tracks mm-hmm. that kind of or not kind of that. Oh, very. <laughs> very much. <laughs> More than a little. Uh, yeah, very much deal with um, the issue of abortion and also the issue of choice, of making a decision yeah. um, to have a child. And so we're going to listen to eight weeks. Okay. And then we'll get into the stuff. But how 
was I supposed to know? Two heteros wed together, the wet and genital, central to its depression. Parenthood is parenthetical till your period's missing and it's being missing. Gets conspicuous, you're pissing on a stick and shit, shit, shit. Get what the issue is, a pinch of fetal tissue. It's a daughter, it's a parasite. It's an honor, it's got me terrified. It's a daughter, but she's gotta go though. Could you spare a life? Could you prepare a right if you try? Are you the parent type? Prepared to fight for the right of choice and yet embarrassed by the choice. If it's just a parasite while your eyes are moist. Because it's difficult to call the child a choice when a tiny voice inside you is crying out that it's your pride and joy. Cause nobody tells you, you could see that you could grieve it. Cause all we see is the stigmatization of a procedure feeding off misinformation and trait conversation for secrets. Like my own mother, one abortion at my age, you didn't say shit either. So how was I supposed to know? You see me in the street, a family reek of repel, but only superficially, cause underneath it is still. Yeah, we repeat repeats, how to cheapen it down. So a single friend can read and find and keeping it. Oof. Ha. Yeah. Yeah, lots of feelings, lots of feelings. Uh, particularly, I don't know if y'all were gonna like talk or play some of the track on my newest album, but it's a sequel called 13 Weeks because I actually had a son last year. And so, you know, while on eight weeks, I'm kind of contemplating, you know, being a young feminist and like, oh yeah, everyone should have the right to choice. Like in an abortion is just like, like an obvious answer to actually being in that scenario and being and like finding it a lot tougher than you expected. And then, you know, when I, you know, for example, like perform this at protests and rallies, like underscoring the fact that like it's hard enough on your body. It's hard enough emotionally for some people, not everyone, but for some people, all these additional barriers have got to go. Cause like if you should only have to deal with that, the, 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 you know, the complex and um, emotional decision of like, you know, what you want to do in that situation. She, you shouldn't have to worry about how am I going to get 50 bucks to take the Uber to a different city to pay, somehow find $500 to get the procedure. And, you know, what am I going to do with this and that? Who's going to watch my kids? I'll have to take time off work. You shouldn't have to worry about any of that because the choice in itself can be difficult for a lot of people. But then in my new track, uh, 13 weeks off the new album, talking about my son and like what we went through with having him, like, I talk about, like, you know, always think I might have an abortion and then being like, actually, you know what, I, I, I'm ready to be a parent. But even in that, because of, you know, our lack of uh, universal health care, because of black maternal mortality rates, uh, because of the cost of rent, like how stressful it is. Um, to actually have a child like you all you see is like the the announcement photos on Facebook everyone's so happy and they come to the baby shower and bring you lots of presents but like it's very harrowing even even when you're overjoyed that you're going on this journey um so so, so all of these are to add nuance to our understandings of abortion of parenthood of femininity of maternity because uh, it's not just like, oh, you're having a baby, you're so excited. Or, oh, you had an abortion, isn't that great? There's a lot of complication therein that we don't get a lot of media representation of. So I'm trying to, I guess I'll try to do that a little bit. Yeah, and that's where, I mean, I think you did a, a, a fantastic job, really. Of, because, I, you know, like where the stats are now, is like, you know, one, one in four uh, women or, you know, people uh, go through a, uh, an abortion. Um, but, um there's like, and even in the song, the spelled out, your mom, you know, had the procedure, didn't say anything. Right. I didn't um, tell her what I didn't tell her. And I, for like a year. And when I finally told her, she was like, oh yeah, me too. And I was like, wait, what? I like he- kept this secret from you 
for like months and months and it was agonizing only to find out that you had never told me either. <laughs> you know, we got to actually destigmatize by having these conversations and then actually creating those networks of support by knowing there's folks around you who understand where you are, who can support you through, you know, that decision making. Yeah, which I think is like even with the framework with a lot of at least the political framework of, of, of the issue, you know, they only really painted in like these extreme cases. You know, and like mm-hmm. rape and incest, rape and incest, rape and incest, which points it in the light that this is a procedure that is only done in extreme cases, which is not true. You know, this is a healthcare procedure that should, you know, like you said, it should just be seen as that. And, I mean, you know, I would say that like the uh, like indelibly altering the course of the next 18 years of your life is a pretty extreme scenario like uh, we do have these outlier cases that are tragic and horrific but like it's horrific to consider that you're not going to be able to finish school you're not going to be able you're going to get kicked out of your house for being unwed etc etc that's pretty extreme to me i would say so i i agree with you though that like the framing of the argument of like oh it should be what did bill clinton say like rare and uh and safe or something it's like safe and rare like i i mean i don't uh, like i don't i don't care if it's rare i would love for it to be rare because people have access to contraception etc etc but like people gotta do what they gotta do if if, you know period period yeah i just just needs to happen as 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 many times it needs to happen right putting trying to put some type of arbitrary number on it is it's shameful right because how many cancer procedures are we allowed to have right like cancer just, isn't sentient either but it's growing inside you so should we out of cancer treatments like what's going on people what are we doing out here yeah which still give me like the whole like i keep like aren't sperm alive you know i don't know right like, <laughs> yeah yeah right know, like, like, we don't, get it. <laughs> um, don't don't give them ideas they might outlaw vasectomies and then y'all y'all in trouble too so oh yeah that's see, that's the way it's like if it's really for guys, you know, they'll pump out the Viagra, do all the research, you know, it's fine, we'll, we'll take care of us. But, you know, when it comes to people with a uterus, you know, that's we got to pull out all the stops. We're going to make sure everything is in its right place in time because God forbid people make their own decisions. And it's all about, you know, this this country was built not only off of the stolen labor of African captives and the stolen land of indigenous folks, it's also off of the coerced labor of women in, in the home, of, you know, women having no, yep. bo- you know, people who give birth having no bodily autonomy. And so they are, like, conscripted to be forced to serve, you know, cooking and cleaning and taking care of children that they don't have any choice in whether they wanted to have. And so I do think this is also a class issue, as we know, like rich people are always, if, they, you, if you gotta fly to Norway to get an abortion, rich people will always, 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 always be able to do that. Um, and so this is a war on working class people. Um, and it has to do with ensuring our, you know, our placement in an undercast where we are forced to work, um, and have our like labor taken by, uh, people that just, just are just generally just cruel and terrible. How much does uh, your your you, you definitely like uh, speak from a point of view of like someone who knows uh, more than the average person, not just because of your education, but also because you are a you're a public servant, you work for the government. Uh, so, in in taking the peek behind the curtain, what do you think you have seen that has like given you far more material as an artist you would think 
um, and like also how what do you bring as an artist to the you know what happens behind the curtain that like kind of confronts them or like directly takes them on well i'd say like music for me is a space to dream bigger than what i'm able to accomplish as a local elected official um and so like in my music i'm talking about like abolishing golf greens and turning it into housing and like yeah the idea of debt abolition etc so it is sort of like an escapist space for me or i rather should say an idealist space because i think it's so important to dream towards the ultimate world that we deserve and that we're we're like shooting for you know not to be hemmed in by this ideas of reform because what i have seen and peeking behind the curtain is the ways that bureaucracy and living under fascism in a republican state and uh even just a lack of political will because we have to govern by consensus you have to have you know six votes to pass something etc and so all the backroom dealing and the the person dealing with the personalities and oh this person isn't going to vote to like give homeless folks a safe place to live because they don't like you and it's not even that y'all disagree on this issue um i would say that like being hemmed in by that music becomes a space then where i can dream outside of all of those constraints right but um what i will say about what i use my internal knowledge of government for is helping people organize so when folks are like yo we want this to happen i explain the various checkpoints along the way to making that happen that they need to cross through okay this is how we lobby this person okay this is what state law allows us to do okay this is the meeting you need to show up at um so kind of like using like yeah this insider's perspective to help just like give that knowledge back to the people so that like we can generate and very strategically agitate for the things that they want Because I tell people all the time, it's like I'm one vote in that room, and I can show up and tell tell them that y'all are with me. But there isn't anything quite like all of y'all showing up there in that room to show the critical mass that we have around your demands, and that I'm not making things up. I'm not crazy. I'm not like the loopy radical. Like we are all about this, and so trying to like cultivate those coalitions through just like. you know getting wins and by and, and winning strategically so i feel like that's a lot of where my insider knowledge goes um but i do i do use music to sort of like articulate what world ultimately i'm tr- striving to get us to so like through policies i make around uplifting workers and fighting the cops etc like where are we trying to go where are we trying to go ultimately um i mean if if I could be just so lazy to ask uh, you where where are you trying to go? Where do you where do you see the end goal for I what the path you think would be to get there as well? Like if you can speak a little bit about both. Hmm, okay, yeah. So, I mean, W.E.B. Du Bois, you know, during reconstruction said that in order to abolish slavery for real for real, we need a complete economic political reorganization of society. And so as a prison abolitionist I use the framework of prison abolition to analyze the problems that we have and how do we get to fixing it. And so ultimately dwindling our reliance upon uh systems of social control and redirecting those resources both social and material into uh care, reorganizing our whole society around care so that like everybody has housing everyone has healthcare and increasingly i've been thinking about freedom in terms of like freedom from fear so like freedom from fear that you'll be evicted freedom from fear that you will have to raise a child you don't want to have freedom from fear as well on the right uh freedom from fear of trans people of immigrants how do we liberate those people from this thing from these fears that give them all of this anxiety and so 
Uh, I don't think we ever achieve a world without fear, but having that as like the top shelf that we're reaching for, you know, at least we'll get pretty close to liberating folks from some of these anxieties that they have to live with, fear that they'll be robbed, feel that they'll be hit by their partner they can't afford to, you know, move away from, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say reorganization, total reorganization of society around care, um, freedom, a world free of fear. Um, and I think we get there, you know, through a, a prison abolitionist framework um, of just like, how do we first and foremost liberate people from systems of social control and build up those systems of care that we need to have that truly free world? You know, and this is something that like, I very much wonder about because it is, you talk about like a, like a world that's free from fear that it's, it's it kind of like fear, at least man-made fear, right? right? Like fear oh, sure. Fear, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 In our minds. Because, like, there is an existential crisis. This is the thing that, like, is that kind of really just keeps me awake at night. It's like, you know, and I think the, what, the movie Don't Look Up kind of, like, points to this, that, like, no, like, the existential crisis is here, right? Like, in all the movies where the aliens show up and, like, the world bands together... Like, it's not happening right now. Um, and there are things to be afraid of. I mean, hell, I got a text message this morning saying there's a tornado war. Yeah. I, I was scared. I live on the fourth floor, and they said get into the basement. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's and, real and, fear, and that's allowed to have. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, so, there's yeah, some kinds of fear you can't eradicate, but imagine, like, you know, in our society, that fear is bolstered by knowing that FEMA is not coming to save you because we saw what happened in Katrina. Exactly. Knowing that, yeah. like, our federal government yeah. doesn't really care about us. And so in that situation, the tornado hits, you're kind of on your own. And so, yeah, there's inevitable natural fears given, like, we live in a world that we don't control um, ecologically. But, like, the degree of fear with certain things doesn't have to be what it is because we could have a government that, like is organized around caring for people. Yeah, and especially, too, I think it's, like, a, a similar thing that, like, I've said before, but, like, making sure your life is actually secure. You know, security right. isn't, you know, there's no more immigrants coming. No, security means my house is secure, not only from, you know, some type of, you know, like, just regular weathering events, but also I'm, I get to stay in my house. Exactly, you know? yeah. I feel like, like, rich people forget, like, I talk about this all the time with, like, my, I, I, I represent a pretty working class area that is rapidly gentrifying, so I am starting to represent more affluent people. And I talk to them all the time about, like, th there is no safety without collective safety. Like, you're afraid that someone's going to break in and steal your TV because poor poverty exists in this community. So, like, you are only safe, and that person is only safe from police violence if, like, all of us have our material needs secured and so it's like you know oh we got to stop these immigrants it's like well if they're not fleeing from u.s created like regime change and like deprivation then like you don't have anything to be afraid of because we can all just live right so i absolutely feel you on that the idea that like people actually think united the united states is some great haven and so they're gonna uproot their lives walk thousands of miles to get here like it's so silly it's so silly <laughs> but but it's a it's a man-made it's it's man-made you know like yeah. Yep. um yeah and i i mean like uh i, I kind of wanted to also uh get into how um there is a there's a certain level of uh, um 
you know, I kind of lost my train of thought, but like, okay. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the... I am blanking out. I feel like... Um, completely lost it. Yeah, lost completely it. lost it. Uh, yeah, we're going to edit this out in the yeah, published yeah. version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's nice, because now we get to say, you know, I guess we've been good two for two, but then this one we'll have to edit some stuff. Uh, <laughs> Mariah, you're, you're, you're too impressive. I'm sorry, I I had to do it to y'all, but you know, (laughs) I have one mode I operate in, and that's just yeah, I don't know, yeah, going all time. Two modes, fast and faster, but that was like yes, there we go. That's one. Yep, yeah, outdid me with that one. (laughs) Um, But there's and this is something that we talked about in the last conversation, and you know, it's out of the gap because I love the song, and I think it's actually a good segue from you know, you know, you battle against fear. You know, the battle for actual and real security and true yeah. democracy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, actually, I actually got oh. the question. <laughs> oh, we back. What's up? Yeah. Yeah. I no. knew you could do it. I had faith yeah, yeah, yeah. in you. Uh, the question is basically that, like, uh, you talk a lot about how the, there isn't an immediate, like, you know, uh, like, it's not easy for even, the, like, everybody in the working class to, like, be able to get along with each other. Um, and I feel like you you touch upon that in your music as well and in your organizing. What do you think are like some obstacles to working class uh, or like, you know, not not just working class, but more of like a, a solidarity of marginalized peoples across the board? Uh, what has been like some of the challenges to it? And like, how do you f- like try to address that in your music as well as in your in your political work? I mean, I think that we have su- we have significant structural barriers to overcome with regards to segregation and how hardened it has still remained, you know, in the aftermath of redlining and urban renewal and things like that. So we just have people that just don't live around each other, that just don't see black people walking around and smiling and waving and like, oh, how are your kids, etc. And so working class white folks might be like, that all they know is like what they see on World Star and Fox News, right? Um, I do think that white supremacy benefits from um, interracial, intraracial I can't remember by the by races fighting each other. Let me say so like it's it's great for capital. It's great for white supremacy when Soon Jadu, a Korean grocery store owner, sh- shoots Latasha Harlins in the back of the head and, you know, gives rise to the L.A. riots. So um, things like this, when like we're fighting each other, like, you know, billionaire, you know, racists sit back with their feet up on our coffins, like laughing and loving it. And I do think that is produced by the media. You know, what sorts of images they seek to circulate. They make more money when people are afraid. So it's great for them to hype up our differences and our divisions and that fear. And so I do think that's a, that's a, a very contemporary issue in addition to the structural ones that we've been facing since this country was founded. Um, and so I think with regards to media as well, we have an, we have a increased siloing of cultural affinity groups given these algorithms that kind of feed us back what we want to see all the time. So it's hard for working class white people to get anything else in their media digest than their own perspectives. You know, people talk about the echo chamber, the bubble all the time. And I think that the impacts of that are very real. So, I mean, that there's a lot, there's a lot of struggle in those regards. But that, I, again, I think it's why it's so important for folks to, um, like wh- why labor organizing is so powerful because, you know, you, you're, you're in there working with, you know, somebody who immigrated from Nicaragua and somebody from 
uh, Taiwan or like some white folks from Alabama. And like in those circumstances, you can like have that common goal of economic freedom. And it doesn't matter if like, it doesn't even matter if like, oh, Joey over there supports the NRA and um, Carlos, like, I don't know, he's on, uh, like, he, he, he drinks a lot of beer, whatever. It's like, we don't put that aside and fight for what's going to be best for all of us um, on that path to like, yeah, go to liberation, to freedom. So I do think there's a way forward, but it's not going to be on the internet and it's certainly not going to be just like legislated in action. The people are going to have to take the action. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's something that, um, I wish, and like I said, like, like, I wish people had taken, uh, that message and like, you even mentioned, you know, mentioned like, Hey, if you're disappointed, like what happened with Bernie, you know, jump over to organizing with labor. Um, that's something that I feel like that was missed with kind of like the Bernie movement is that like, like they just took the not me us as the campaign slogan. But it was like, no, like that he's he's saying like what you need constantly over, oh we need a mass movement. Even if we get like we need a mass movement of people to make this happen. And that's that's like the answer, right? You know, right, you know, period. You, exactly. You know, like obviously you like you as you do you see yourself as a role as you know, as a as a commissioner you're not going to save the society, right? You're not going to save... And it breaks my heart every single day, yeah. I'll be yeah, real. But, like, it kills me, because I, I feel like maybe I could if I did things differently. But there isn't anything I can do. I can reduce people's suffering. You know, we made the buses free, and we raised the minimum wage $15 an hour, and, you know, paid reparations. But, like, that's, that's all I can do, you know? And so, yeah, it has to be the people, period. Yeah. And I think having more, which... I wish more officials had that mentality outwardly, you know, of just saying, you know, realizing the limitations and, and, and being also like recognizing that you're, you're also part of the movement, you know, like your role is, is as important, you know, as, as, as all others in this movement. Um, and that's something where, you know, going into, uh, the last, Last song that I wanted to hit, which we hit on earlier, earlier but um, I think it's especially important, and especially important in you know a week like this in the United States, or past week and a half like this in the United States, to remember uh, some joy, happiness, and love. Um, so this is I'm gonna play my my new favorite pop. Oh fuck. Ha!
um, and that's something that um, I kind of like would, you know, kind of want to ask you about of, of, of it hit on before, um, or at least in our last interview, of um, bringing revolutionary love uh, and 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 also different aspects, queer love into hip hop music, which is something you know that. I guess in the beginning stage was, was, was uh, you know, a lot, it's completely like shut out. Um, and then now, you know, like there's obviously <laughs> different times, but there's still a lot of uh, remnants of um, oh, anti-LGBTQ sentiments and everything like that. Um, so I don't know. I guess this is more of just like a thank you for making this song because I love it. And it's also, you know, expressing in a, in a way of love that is different than the Ja Rule Ashanti songs that got made a thousand times over. <laughs> yeah, what I would say to that, though, is that um, I think that um, hetero, uh, heteropatriarchy within hip-hop is something that I think I think is, like, somewhat manufactured as well because, like, corporate music entities, like, again, want to drive that and want to, want to incentivize and award music that keeps... And, and people that keep that alive... Because, you know, the capitalist class benefits from these divisions. But when you get to the undercurrents, when you get to like, you know, so there's mainstream hip hop, which is sort of imposed upon us by corporate media. And then there's just like what everyday people do. Right. And so, like, I think if you get into that and you see there's like people like Big Frida and like Bounce Culture in New Orleans. And there's, you know, folks like I mean, even uh, even, you know, folks like. Megan the Stallion, who are like rapping about stealing a girlfriend or whatever. Like, once you start to like break out of what corporate media wants to, wants us to think hip hop is like, it's actually very vibrant in terms of like sexuality and gender identity, race, national origin. Like, people are doing hip hop everywhere in every kind of way. And so, uh, I'm just trying to bring an extra facet to that. Like, yo, here's another way that we do in hip hop out here. You know, uh, everything in popular culture is like basically uh, revolving around uh, the individual exceptionalist uh, narrative. And like there's something about uh, your music where you're so extremely dexterous with your words and uh, your vocabulary is pretty incredible. And like, you know, you also come in like pretty qualified as an artist. Uh, But yet like your music kind of is not rendering the work like so inaccessible uh but actually you're, you're you're doing it in a very accessible fashion to the average person uh b- but you're also on the other hand uh able to emphasize uh, a form of culture that is not individual exceptionalist so can you speak a little bit about what kind of culture you would think is an alternative to uh the individual exceptionalist culture that like basically were force-fed through neoliberal capitalism yeah i mean i think i think that there is uh, uh, the first thing i'll say i think is that Hip hop is a lot more communal than like folks want to like, you know, again, corporate media wants to make you think because we do highlight the individual. We're talking about Jay-Z. We're talking about Beyonce and not really thinking about the context in which they were shaped into artists, the crews that they roll with, the communities that they rep and thinking that within, you know, not just like consuming their media on YouTube, but like you actually go out in in the hood with somebody like, I don't know, let's say. Um, Gucci Mane, like in Zone Six, where he's from, and see how he interacts with the people, and you know supports the young folks that he grew up around, and his uncle, his nieces and nephews. Like there is a very communal spirit to hip hop that does not benefit capitalism, and so it kind of gets suppressed in a lot of the imagery and the media that we consume around hip- and on rappers. But I would say that um, you know to fight back against that 
that neoliberal, like exceptionalism, individualism uh, model is to create media that um, uplifts that re- the true reality of the communalism of hip hop um, as, you know, as a part of the ultimate project of, I guess, lifting people's like or, or, hmm, transforming people's imaginations of what community is and getting us closer to or back to, depending on how you look at it, like a more communal spirit in every in every way. So in our neighborhoods, in our apartment buildings, in our workplaces, in our schools, et cetera, et cetera. So there is some like narrative challenge that I think I'm trying to do through hip hop and that y'all are doing through the show, et cetera, that is necessary to sort of like change the conversation, change, reorient our thinking to see just see what's around us and realize like the bounty that is around us with regards to like our social, our social reality. Do you think, and this is something more of just focused on the idea of the individualism uh, that's given by the like mainstream hip hop. Cause I, I feel like that might even be like a recent type thing within like the past like five or 10 years because of the amount of like there, each, <laughs> each hip hop artist, you know, at least what I remember, like, listening to growing up, like, they had a crew, you know, that all... Exactly, you know, like, exactly, they, yes. They had a crew, like, you know, going back all, like, to all the way. I mean, fuck, hell, the, the first rap song in the goddamn radio from the Sugar Hill Gang. Right, um, right, the Sugar Hill Gang. We're talking about Tribe Called Quest. We're talking about the Far Side, where it was, like, these groups. And ultimately, at the very genesis of hip-hop, you're looking at the Bronx in the 1970s, it was, like, the creation of hip-hop was collaborative. So you couldn't, like, you needed the B-boys to be breakdancing on the cardboard, and you needed, like, the the MCs to be, you know, hyping the crowd up, and you needed the DJ, you know, spinning the disco breaks. Like, we, like, we created that together, and we continue to create that together, so. Yeah, it was started as a party. You know, right. like, how does one person take that, you know, how does it end up being just Jay-Z, you know, like, right. that doesn't really make, you know, but... And that oh, made no damn like, sense. Yeah, because <laughs> even, like, what, like, fucking 2000, 2010, you know, I'd say, like, what, Cash Money, might be, you know, Young Money. Cash Money, like yes. Yeah. Might Dreamville, like, today, still, but we don't talk yeah. about that. We talk about J. Cole, so... Yeah. Oh my God. No, I, I would. Talk. I would want to get into even like, for example, like even the uh, adulation that uh, an artist such as Kendrick Lamar receives. Like we we did a couple of shows about Kendrick, and like there is no denying that this is a very talented, ext- extremely uh, strong artist. Uh, but at the end of the day, isn't it a better ecosystem where? Uh, more artists are like Kendrick rather than there is one, you know, Kendrick reigning supreme. Like uh, the narrative seems to almost always be about like how one rapper is exceptional and there's nobody else like him or them. Um, and uh, they're basically irreplaceable. And that makes makes it so that like you can't listen to anybody else. Whereas if you're listening to a whole scene, then there'll be like 10, 15 rappers who would be equally strong, you know. So Right, right. Uh, so we, we talk about Kendrick, but we don't talk about the musical lineage of Compton with... Dr. Dre and N.W.A. and folks like that. And the fact that that sound is still... Well, first of all, he wouldn't even be where he is at today if they hadn't found... Like, folks hadn't found him and be like, yo, this cat's dope. Let's help nurture his talent. And then you hear the, that musical lineage in beats like... Oh, what's it? Not Good Kids, Mac City. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, like, you hear the sound of Compton in his music. And now you see him today uplifting his little cousin, Baby Keem, and bringing him in. And so it's like... It's like it's right there in front of us. But yes, you're absolutely right. We keep on focusing on, oh, Kendrick himself is so talented and taking him completely out of the context in which his talent was nurtured. Yeah. 
Uh, by the way, we we are open to calls in. Like, so if you, if anybody wants to call in, talk to uh, Maria or uh, us, we're happy to take any questions. So uh, please feel free. Um, I guess, and uh, it is a very similar question that I had when the last time we were able to talk. Uh, but I think some of the uh, the political atmosphere has changed within the United States, and you know, like definitely with a you know like abortion rights. Um, and then now, you know, like obviously guns, um, I think with, especially with have, what happened in Texas, the police are under a scrutiny that, um, I, that I haven't seen from, you know, mainstream or, you know, from, from, you know, like a popular sentiment. Um, and so I guess as, as not only, you know, uh, um, someone in politics, you know, as official, but as someone as, as an organizer, um, like, how do you see, I guess, right now? And, you know, if there are any words of, of I don't know, hope for, um, for people who kind of have to, like, take a heart, you know, like, oh, constantly, you know, a heart goes swallow and then go out there and try and still fight for a better future. Yeah, I mean, I think we should be heartened in this moment i guess i will start by well I mean, that sounds really weird but let me start by saying that like what i find interesting about this moment is that we saw one man tragically and horrifically murdered by a police officer two years ago almost to the day of the uvalde sh- shooting and we burned shit to the ground and here we are with 19 children dead and and 10 uh, maybe was it 13 folks just murdered in buffalo and f- I think the fact that the uprising of 2020 yielded so little, it seems, is somewhat suppressing a natural reaction to that catharsis that folks sought in the streets two years ago. But I think that I am also heartened by some of the reactions I'm seeing by folks that like a local journalist, for example, the guy in Athens, Georgia, that like puts out the news, t- like tweeting about like, you know, I always thought defund the police was so was such a stupid slogan, but, you know, I'm standing here today thinking about what are they even fucking for? What are the cops even for? And I was like, okay, yes, because the things that, the thing that people forget is like the generationality of our struggle. So like Angela Davis has been an anti-prison activist and a communist for like 50 years. And she's still out here riding in the back of the pickup truck with the longshoresmen. So like, you know, little things like that where we shift the needle, we're growing that we're growing that political consciousness, that class consciousness. It might not be as sensational as burning down the third precinct in Minneapolis, but like that we're planting those seeds. You know, on the album we'll talk about I may never see the seeds that I have planted grow. And it's like those little things when you see that the conversation shifting, when you see people starting to wake up, then we're we're growing a coalition of folks that will continue to let those ideas ripple forward and ripple outward that maybe you know our kids are gonna finish that finish that fight for us. And so um I take a lot of I take a lot of courage and hope in the fact that more and more people are waking up to the police state that we live in. And sure in this moment it seems like folks don't really know what to do other than scream into the void. But, like, that energy is going to get put somewhere. Those ideas are going to continue to um, multiply and, and, you know, vine their way up um, and vine their way out. And there's going to be a way forward. But in this moment, I think people are just sitting back to reflect, like, oh, shit, what is that way forward? But their, their ideas are changing. And that is the most important, that is the most critical thing. 
Yeah, and I think that's something that's like really important that you said is just the generational aspect of the struggle. Um and 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 understanding that you you know like basically it's not that you're you know that that a group an organization a movement might be taking an L you know it's just that the game you know, like your singular life does not encompass the whole <laughs> the whole struggle and right. you know some of our actions today are just setting up you know the for, for the eventual win. Um, right, exactly. Another thing, another example, uh, conservatives fought for 50 years to overturn Roe v. Wade and re- like retake the Supreme Court and overturn Roe v. Wade. Like, that's the timescale we're talking about here, people. Like, I know we don't want a single other shooting to happen. I re- I know. It's so heartbreaking. But, like, we really have to be thinking on, on that greater timescale. And not just that, but finding beauty in that generationality to know that we are caring for the fight of our like you know of the african captives that you know you know stormed whatever plantation and killed a bunch of people like we are carrying forward the fights of the folks you know of the black panthers of the young lords of the folks that aren't with us anymore of the folks whose ideas continue to resonate throughout history that's a beautiful thing so it's not sad that it's going to take us a long time we like it's it's beautiful to imagine our kids finishing this job right so that's another thing that gives me a lot of hope that I hope other people uh, feel, too. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty well said. And uh, we kind of want to just uh, let the audience know again that, like, we, if you want to call in, uh, phone lines are open. I don't think there are phone lines, but uh, <laughs> whatever you used to call in. Yeah, I got about 10 minutes and then I got bounced. So uh, please ask me anything. I'm an open book. Um or if you think of something later, you could like follow me on socials and hit DM me or whatever. You know, so, so. Oh, you got to call it. We do have oh. a call coming. Um, uh, well, we get Doc in. There was someone who do the ask a question real quick though. That uh, Charlie Twenty Two asked earlier on. Do you prefer to release music through Instagram, SoundCloud, different or different platforms? So, um, while we get Doc in here, yeah, how do you like you know releasing your music? Yeah, so my music is on Bandcamp. That is how I make most of my money. So I, if you want to check out the music, I would suggest first and foremost you go there. Um, so that's where I like to put music out. I do occasionally drop verses on Instagram. Um, just because it's highly accessible to folks. Like, it's hard to get folks to... Everybody just opens their phone and sees, like, what new pictures of sushi Aunt Susan is posting or whatever. And so it's easy to disseminate ideas through just, like, posting a video on Instagram etc. So I do that often. Um, I do play the game, my shit's on Spotify, etc. But, you know, Bandcamp and socials are the main places where you can see the new stuff I'm working on. And also keep up, I'm going on tour. Starting next Tuesday, I'm going to be in Vancouver, Victoria, Seattle, Portland. So, like, um, also let people know about how they can come engage and actually, like, see the music, meet, talk, etc. So, follow me on Instagram, etc. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. And, uh, Doc, thanks for calling in. If you uh, unmute the bottom right. Peace and blessings. Uh, Mariah, I really uh, appreciate your intellect. Um, I really enjoy your music. But most of all, I really admire your warrior spirit that you have. Thank you. And um, for me, my question is, uh, I just learned this week from watching a, a YouTube uh, special uh, intellectual media about, um, you know, it kind of talks about um, black life during the 80s. 
Mm-hmm. What I learned uh, was about Forsyth County, Georgia. Oh, boy. <laughs> and uh, I was really, I'm not shocked, but really, uh, how would I say? It's like it kind of really more so gave me more uh, disappointed that things haven't changed, but not surprised. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you're, you know, this happened yeah. in the late 80s where, you know, they didn't want, you know, black people moving to their county. And yeah. uh, being myself living here in California in a sundown town as well, um, I just wanted to kind of ask how how do you navigate through those kind of spaces of you know being being in hostile territory? Like for me, uh, I'm an Afghan war veteran. I did three deployments in, the, in Afghanistan, and I have no fear. But having a young child myself, I fear more now. So with my, for my child being targeted. Yeah. Just for being, you know, an ethnic minority. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just kind of curious how, you know, with the courage that you have to be fighting uh, the good fight, how, how do you navigate those spaces in, in Georgia? Yeah, so interestingly on the topic of Forsyth, so yeah, they, it was segregated, like formally segregated until the 80s. Uh, ton of racial violence. To, I mean, to this day, it's just like very openly fascist place here in Georgia. They, you know, f- fly in... Confederate flags and stuff. Um, and I wanted to say on that, my uh, my partner actually ran the campaign of the first ever black person to run for office in Forsyth. Um, and that was in like, the, like that was like three or four years ago. Um, and so, uh, yeah, wild place. But what gives me hope in the face of hostility? Because, yeah, I get a lot of death threats. I, you know, just last week had like a car sitting out in front of my house, follow my friend in, you know, like at 3 a.m., like a lot of sketchy stuff like that. But like, I try to remain in faith, knowing that like most people aren't being engaged, at, aren't, aren't at all engaged in politics. Like if you want to take it as a pretty easy metric, you know, half of people didn't vote in the, you know, 2020 election, right? So like, there are more people out there that like, are on the sidelines waiting for an invitation into the work, then there are fascists and there are people who want to kill us. Um, and so if our work centers bringing those people in and know and remembering that that is the actual community we're in when it feels like, oh my God, like the forces of evil are all around us and mounting. It's like, well, the reality is that most people just like are so like suppressed by capitalism. They're so disheartened by you know, having lived a lifetime of death by a thousand cuts under racism, heteropatriarchy, uh, hetero etc. Like, those folks that aren't even in the game, like, if we get them involved, we could do anything. We can do anything. And that's our actual community. That's the actual political reality we're living in. Um, even if forces, like, uh, reactionary oppositional fasc- forces of fascism feel like they are dominant, feel like they are everywhere. So... While, like, you know, that doesn't necessarily diminish the fears of, like, you know, person, like, you know, of violence, um, political violence against folks, um, remembering, like, what our community actually looks like, um, help is very grounding thing for me, so. Yeah, and if I, I just want to, you know, just, you know, slap that table uh, on what you're saying, too, because that's what I, it's a constant sign of, like, kind of hope and motivation for me is a lot of people talk about, you know, are you Republican, are you Democrat? But the biggest block is neither. Exactly. You know? That and is every that's that's the majority. The majority of people yeah, out here yeah. ain't even in the game. Yeah. And and especially too when you talk about the South, people want to ignore the fact that the South is where where most black people are. 
Period. Period. Yeah. So yeah. That like that means like it, it's it's this huge contradiction. You know, Doc pointed out like the South is you know where a, so much of this fascist uh, policy and programming is coming is like coming out of right. That's like the heartbeat of it. But understanding too of that like that's that's not enemy territory. That's friendly territory that doesn't exactly. know exactly. That is the per- thank you so much for saying that because that is the perfect encapsulation of it. It's like not only yeah, like we have this very rich legacy of liberation struggle down here from the sanitation workers in Memphis to the washerwoman strike in Atlanta to obviously the civil rights movement. So we got that going for us. But yeah, it's friendly territory in that people who are in most need are like concentrated in this area and aren't being engaged by anyone by any either side. Uh, so yeah, that's a really really beautiful way to put it. I'm in friendly territory right now. What's up? Yeah. And, and that's the too. Like, you're friendly territory. It's like, just not voting. That's just, like, that's it. They're just yeah. one little, one, one little task that doesn't put them on the radar in, you know, the, uh, in the official sense. But really, at the end of the day, yeah. Like, you want to see, you, if you want to be amongst black people, you go to the South. Yeah, now, for real. That's where, <laughs> now, empowering, liberating, Right. I invite all y'all to move to Georgia. Everybody move to Georgia. We're going we to take over the whole thing. I'm in uh, Virginia right now. All right. So you're doing your thing up there. I appreciate you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I came down from Maine um, and I'm in Virginia. So I feel like I did my part. Um, but uh, I don't know if we're going to have another caller, but I know that, you, you know. You got, oh, you got snap. Oh, that's all the time. I do got to go. But hey, right. folks, uh, follow me on the everywhere. Um, I'm putting it in the chat. Uh, hit me up if I didn't get to did, didn't get to your question. Also, look out for tour dates in case I'm in the city near you. So, uh, thank y'all so much for your time. This was a lovely conversation. Thank yeah, you for talking to appreciate us. Appreciate your time. Thank you. So no much. doubt. Solidarity forever. Peace. Peace. All right. Um, well, Karthik, I don't know if you had anything you know that you wanted to add. Um. That might be a, a good one to call it, so that we can get on. Yeah, this, uh, no, I weekend. feel like I feel like we got a we got a good show. Uh, we had like a very enthusiastic guest uh, who who always likes getting right down to the you know the brass tacks, as they say. So like gets to the core of the matter all the time, and uh, we always enjoy talking to them. Um, definitely check out their music uh, on all platforms, and uh, we'll have a we we have a good show for you coming up. Uh, on uh, Wednesday, um, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, where we're going to talk to somebody, uh, a special friend uh, off the show about all of the, like, basically both of the shootings and, and about guns yes. in general. We're going to be, gonna be taking a step away from music, and we're going to be talking about guns. Um, guns and roses. No. Guns and, <laughs> guns and roses. Uh, and, 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 and we're... And that's, yeah, like you got just the alternate path with with guns as well. But um, uh, going back to Mariah, I, I love talking to them because because of w- their groundedness, you know, the understanding that a political position does not mean leadership. It's just another part of the movement that has certain roles and that may be more public out face, you know, like public facing, but those roles don't put you above or below, you know. 
anyone else. And the fact that through her, through their art, they're uplifting the Starbucks worker, you know, retail workers, all, a lot of the labor that, that doesn't necessarily get the attention. Um, yeah, I very, I very much appreciate always talking to Mariah. And so, um, I think it's an inspiring thing. And that's something that like, that and people on the left really need to start demanding if they're engaging with, you know, electoral politics and, and politicians and stuff like that is, you know, in, in Mariah, Mariah's case, they're one of us, but anyone else, you make sure that they're, they're, they're behaving, they're acting on our terms, you know, not, <laughs> we, we, we can't, we don't have time to capitulate anymore. So, um, yeah, they're not one of us. They so gotta act on our terms. But other than that, I'll stop rambling. Uh, y'all have a good weekend. We will see you back Wednesday at 8 p.m. for another episode of Revolutionary Tracks. All right, we are. At-